Hey, and welcome back to Grace Talks, a Christian's women's podcast that studies the Bible, the women in it, and applies it to our lives today. Today, we're going to be talking about Martha and Mary, two sisters who loved Jesus in different ways and who were both loved by him. Have you ever heard of the five love languages? It's all about how people give and receive love in different ways. Like for me, I am big on words of affirmation and physical touch. I love saying how much I appreciate someone and giving good, strong hugs, and I love receiving the same. Obviously, though, there are going to be a lot of niche ways that people show love, too. There are sticky notes of love, bringing someone a cup of coffee type of love, constant fist bumps type of love, and the list goes on. For our gals today, we're going to see one of them who expresses her love through acts of service and hospitality. The other one is going to be showing love from quality time and conversation. Something that makes us human is that we have limits. This is evident in our love languages. Sometimes we don't even realize it, but we limit how we show love to just words of affirmation or quality time or acts of service. The epic thing about our God is that his love is not limited. It surpasses all languages and it never runs out of patience. To learn more about these sisters and Jesus's love, open your Bible or listen on to where we are going to start in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 verses 38 through 42 read like this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Which sister do you relate to more? I definitely have been both. The older I get, the more I have to catch myself from being a Martha, because like her, sometimes we get too busy, and we forget to just spend time in the presence of God. That's not to say being a servant is a bad thing. We talk all the time about how important it is, and there are plenty of examples in the Bible about it as well, like Mark 10.45 that says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Or Matthew 20, 26, that says, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Matthew 25, 23 said, His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 2 Timothy 2, 24 said, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. But what Jesus is saying here in this moment is that being worried and upset over all these preparations isn't necessary. Only one thing is necessary. Jesus. We can be frustrated that others aren't moving at our pace. If you are a type A personality or just a really big go-getter, check in with yourself. This might be you. It can be really easy to turn a good thing into a bad thing when it causes us to lash out and become frustrated with other people around us. So choose to put off distractions and sit at the feet of Jesus more often instead. It is better, and it will not be taken away from you. Jesus himself said so. What makes this really cool, though, from a societal perspective, for me at least, is that this is really against gender norms. 
the normal gender roles were for men to get to sit and listen and be discipled. And it was the woman's job to host and to be exactly what Martha was being, a runner of the household. Jesus was, as he often did, completely ignoring what people considered normal in society. And that's cool because it shows that he cared just as much about women knowing the truth of the gospel. Jesus was encouraging Mary to be a thinker, a disciple. He saw her as someone who was worthy of learning the knowledge he could provide. And he was encouraging Martha to learn from that moment as well. He wanted her to do the same and to stop with her worrying about the material things going on around them. Jesus just wanted her, like he wants us, to phase out the distractions around us and to zone in on him and his teachings. So now that we see Jesus's earlier relationship with the sisters, we can hop into the book of John and see more of them and their brother Lazarus. John 11 verses 1 through 7 reads like this. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So what does this say about Jesus's relationship with this family? He clearly holds a great affection for them, so much so that they write to him to let Jesus know that, quote, the one he loves is sick. Jesus says that the sickness will not end in death and that somehow it's going to glorify God in this process. That sounds super promising. So far in his ministry, he's had a miraculous 100% success rate in miracles. So healing shouldn't be too big of a deal. But why then, if he loved them so much, does he wait two more days before beginning the journey back? Well, let's read on to find out. John 11 verses 8 through 16 say, But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. The area that Jesus would be returning to had tried to stone him to death for his teachings. So him going back sounded risky to his disciples. Jesus's response, as it usually was, was in a parable. But what does he mean by it? I personally see two different ways of looking at it. First, Jesus wants to give people daylight. He wants to remove the stumbling blocks of darkness. He does this by showing them his power and his light, by opening their eyes to the truth of who he is and what he's capable of. Second, Jesus was our light in our world while he walked the earth. He was reassuring his disciples that while he was there, they could walk in his light without fear. He mentioned specifically that there are only 12 hours of daylight, like pointing out that his time there on earth was short and measurable. Night would come. 
After he says that, he further confuses his disciples by saying that Lazarus is sleeping and he will wake Lazarus up. Jesus decides to make it perfectly clear for them, though, and says that they should be glad that he is not there, that Lazarus is dead, and that they will believe because of this current situation. So let's move on and see what Jesus's reason for waiting is in John eleven seventeen through 20. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. So the thing to keep in mind about Jesus's timing and how long Lazarus had been dead is this. As the college pastor from Grace Bible Church once explained, after three days in that time and culture, a person was really considered like dead, dead. The three days after a person died, people assumed that the spirit basically just floated near the body and it was possible for people to come back within those three days. But after that, there was no hope for them to come back to life. Okay, back to Martha and Jesus' interaction in verses 21 through 27. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Martha was the doer from earlier, so her approach to Jesus here makes sense. She's the first to bring her frustrations to him like she did the last time, and honestly, that's okay. We are blessed with a relational God, a God that wants our fears, our sorrows, our frustrations, our love, our praise, and any other emotion we're feeling. She basically says, Jesus, if you had interfered, this wouldn't have happened. And I think everyone has had a moment like this. It's so frustrating to live in a world where bad things happen. But Martha has this great second half of her initial response. She immediately follows her frustration with acknowledging that even now, when everything feels like it's falling apart, God will give Jesus whatever he asks. She has all of her faith in Jesus and his powers, and she knows what he's capable of. Then Jesus drops the best news ever to Martha, not just that her brother will rise again someday, but that he is life. He is resurrection. The good news that we know that whoever believes in Jesus will never die. And Martha believes this. She believes that he is the Messiah, the son of God and man. Then in John uh, chapter 11, verses 28 through 33, it says, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. I love the imagery of Mary. Every time we see her, we see her at the feet of Jesus to listen to him, to bring her sorrow to him, and in the following story to worship him. When bad things happen in my life, I have been working on having Mary's response. I want to run to his feet and fall there. She brings the same phrase as Martha, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. We get to see Jesus's response. 
He sees her sobbing at his feet, and he is deeply moved and troubled. He grieves along with her, but there's more. The original language of this phrase can also be translated into Jesus feeling a sort of rage. But why would Jesus be angry? It's not at all because Mary brings her sorrows to him. It's because he's angry at our enemy, the original serpent who relishes in our tears and the death experienced in this world. Jesus hates the causes of our suffering. At the same time, he is empathetic of our pain. So let's go ahead and see what Jesus does in the story next. Hint, it's going to symbolize something much bigger. John eleven thirty four through 44 says, Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave cloths and let him go. After this, many people believed in Jesus, but everything he was doing just made the Pharisees even more enraged, and they continued to plot how to kill him. This time became dangerous for Jesus, and so he no longer moved about in public, and he withdrew into the wilderness with his disciples. So here we now see the purpose behind Jesus waiting. Here we see why he allowed some of his dearest friends to suffer for a short while. The death of his good friend brings us the shortest English translated verse in our Bible. Jesus wept. Everyone around questions why he would love someone so much and yet did not heal him while he was alive. But it was so that Jesus was able to preview his resurrection power. The future will bring about another tomb. Another stone will be rolled away. Jesus will come out after his three days in a tomb and he too will leave behind his grave clothes. And all of that brings about something else. We, who believe, who suffer right now for a short time, will not spend a single moment with our souls in any kind of tomb. We will never wear grave clothes. We are and always will be clothed with garments of salvation and wrapped in robes of righteousness, like it says in Isaiah 61.10. Then John chapter 12 verses 1 through 8 is our next story. It says that six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus's honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus's feet and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Backstory real quick. The Passover was, and still is, an old tradition of Jewish people. It was this huge festival of celebration about the time God saved the Israelites from Egypt. God sent an angel of death over the land of Egypt that would take the life of the firstborn son of a household unless there was the blood of a lamb spread above the doorway. This is more foreshadowing of Jesus and his future sacrifice when he would become the lamb sacrificed to save us from death. Okay, back to this story. First, I would like to point out the positions of importance that both sisters have, and then I'll go deeper into the significance of what Mary does. So, Martha, as was her custom, was the one serving. So why is that cool? Especially since last time Jesus said it was better to just sit and listen. Well, Martha's gift was hospitality. And even if she didn't know it, this was Jesus's last week before he is nailed to a cross. Maybe she was better about allowing Mary to spend time with Jesus without resenting her for it. Maybe she was better about worrying less about the elaborate aspects of a feast and spent more time with Jesus. But regardless, she was able to serve Jesus one last time before he had to become the lamb. As for Mary, she was also doing what she does best falling at the feet of Jesus. She gets to worship Jesus in a really intimate and humbling way. Let's look at all those individual elements that made her moment of praise so awesome. First off, hair, especially for women, had more cultural significance back in that era. The hair was often put up, covered by a cloth or shawl of some sort, and was not usually cut. It was kept long. So having her hair down, a symbol of a woman's beauty then, and used as basically a rag for Jesus's feet, was a show of humility. The other thing was that the bottle of expensive perfume wasn't just like a bottle of perfume that we could go get from Macy's, right? We're talking about a year's worth of wages for the average worker in that time of the Greco-Roman era. And that's not just because that's what Judas says, and that's not a random guess of mine. That also comes from a published research study of the time. So yeah, that was a whole lot of money, and it could have helped people. I love Jesus's response, though, and it reminds me how much he cares about the intention of our hearts. Had some rich person done that because they wanted to be held in high esteem of man and out of pride, Jesus likely would have rebuked him. But Mary does it out of humility and awe of who she knows Jesus is. Her heart's intentions are out of worship, not pride. And as Jesus points out, he's not going to be there long. The poor will always exist, but he will be on earth for just a little longer. And they might not realize how soon his burial will take place, but he tells them that the bottle of perfume was saved for the day of it. And I also love Jesus's response to Judas. He tells him to leave her alone, stern and succinct. I like to think that's how Jesus speaks to our enemy as we pray to him for strength, with all of his authority, telling our fears to leave her alone. So... What can we learn from Mary and Martha? I think a big thing is that there are a lot of ways to love God. Being a servant and being a host like Martha is a great way to love God, as long as you continue to do so with a willing and cheerful heart. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Don't overwhelm yourself with a to-do list for God. 
This is where I recommend the Mary approach. A to-do list is great, but a to-be list is better because I want to be in the Bible more often. I want to be in prayer more often, to be in worship more often, to be a better friend more often. Do you see the pattern? Action is good, and you should pursue an active life with Christ, but don't forget to just spend some time with God, to bask in the presence of a Father who loves us and died for us and loves when we sit at his feet. So that's the application tip for these ladies. If you're going to take action, take the action to sit down kneel or whatever other position you find yourself in. When you want to learn about God, sit at his feet. When you are grieved, fall at his feet. When you are overwhelmed by his goodness, I mean, you know what to do? Fall at the feet of the creator of the universe, the creator of you. Well, that's everything I have for today. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we're going to be talking about a lady named Elizabeth as we lead up to the Christmas story. So I hope to see you then. I'm really excited about it. But like normal, if you have any questions about today's episode, the Bible, or anything else, I'd be happy to answer as best as I can. And of course, if you have not heard it today, God loves you. I love you. You are important. You have worth. And you have a purpose. I'm signing off. Bye. Bye.